Yeah. There always feels like there's some kind of obligatory uh, greeting and thank you for visiting preachers, but uh, I really want to let you all know that I, I'm truly uh, grateful for the way that you've welcomed me as, as my own family would and for letting me uh, speak to you all this morning. Um, uh, to those of you that I have yet to meet, my name is Abraham, I'm from Indiana, and maybe to the visitors, I'm not the normal uh, speaker, that's, that's Andy. Now I wasn't sure what I should talk about, and uh, this sermon may not be the wisest choice for a first impression, but I want to talk to you all about failure. Um, this is a lesson that, that I have uh, benefited greatly from, and I hope that, that it'll help you all as well. So if you will, turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. That's where we'll start today. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Before we get into that story, I want to ask you all a question. Have you ever failed? Probably. <laughs> Failure is, is all around us. You know, whether you fail a, a school test, whether you fail some kind of sport, whether you fail a board game, a video game, uh, that's still kind of fresh for me. I played Mario Kart with Timothy uh, last night, and if you ever want to fail, just uh, play with him. Uh, but it's all around us, right? We, we fail. A lot. <laughs> but I think what is crucial is after the failure, what do we do? How do we handle that? What is the response to our failure? How do we react? That's what I kind of want to zero in on this morning uh, with you all. And so first we're going to look at this example of failure and then a failure to react to the failure in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now the story is about King Saul. If you know anything about King Saul, he was the first king of Israel. He uh, was a pretty poor sampling of the kings of Israel though. His reign could be characterized by uh, a time of conflict and of war with, with every outside nation of Israel, um, and uh, he, he failed to prioritize the worship and uh, obedience to God that, that he should. And so, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're talk, kind of going through another story of a war against this nation, Amalek. And so, we're going to look at the, the, the job given to Saul in the first three verses here. It says, Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was going up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, 
child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. God wants Saul to completely destroy Amalek. And the reason for this is found in Exodus chapter 17. That is when uh, the children of Israel had been delivered from Egypt and they were going uh, up to the promised land. But on their way, Amalek came and they just kind of picked off the stragglers and tried to loot uh, the children of Israel um, as, as they were traveling. And so they fought, and that's the story where Moses held up his staff, and as long as he held the staff up, Israel would prevail, but if he let it down, Amalek would prevail. But God gave the children of Israel victory over uh, the, the Amalekites. And then God promised that he would utterly blot out the memory of Amalek after that fight. People weren't even going to be able to tell that Amalek existed when God was done with them. And so, in 1 Samuel 15, God gives that job of fulfilling God's promise that he made in Exodus to Saul. Okay. And so, picking up from verse 7 of 1 Samuel 15, Saul defeated the Amalekites. From Havilah, as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt, and he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So this is the failure of Saul here. He fails to carry out God's command to utterly wipe out the memory of the Amalekites. He spares Agag, he spares the, the, the plunder, <laughs> the loot. And so Samuel hears of it, and he goes to confront Saul. And on his way, he finds out that Saul built some kind of monument to himself. But he comes to Saul, and Saul's reaction is kind of a proactive approach. He, he comes to Samuel, and he says, Behold! I have obeyed the command of the Lord. Verse 13, Samuel came to Paul, Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. This is Saul's first problem, his first mistake when dealing with his failure. He doesn't even try <laughs> to acknowledge that he messed up. He just says... I didn't do anything wrong, right? Just kind of sweep it under the rug, try to ignore it. I know from my own experience, that's a, a, a common thing. <laughs> when you mess up, it's easy to, to glaze over it, right? Samuel doesn't buy it, though. <laughs> Remember Samuel's response in verse 14. What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen? which I hear. And then Saul says, well, <laughs> in verse 15, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. <laughs> the people. And Samuel goes on and he presses Paul 
And he tells him about a vision that he had received and, and, and how, yes, Saul, you disobeyed the command of the Lord. And so Saul kind of repeats himself again in verse 20. I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have utterly and, and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So his first response was basically to ignore the problem, right? And his second response was, well, it's the people. <laughs> you know, before I could stop them, the people... They insisted that, that they should uh, take the plunder. Saul is a king. <laughs> he should have command of his people. He tried to shift the blame. He tried to get out from under it by blaming others, which is, again, a common response to failure and being uh, confronted with our failure. And so Samuel takes up this, this discourse in, in 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. To obey is better than sacrifice. And then Samuel, well, he gets down to it, right? He says, listen, God no longer wants you as king over Israel. And then, and only then, does Saul kind of change his tune in this story. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Only when confronted with the consequence and the, the, the punishment for Saul's wrong, is he really willing to admit that he did something wrong? I think that kind of tells us what kind of admission this was. It wasn't from a, a, a heart that was concerned about his relationship with God. He just wanted to be the king of Israel, and he wanted to keep that. He wanted to hold on to it desperately. And then notice... Throughout this story, he brings up that I may sacrifice to God, that I may worship him. I mean, from his very first uh, kind of defense to Samuel, he says in verse 15, the people have brought the, the sheep and the oxen from the Amalekites. The people have spared the best of them to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And then in verse 21, the people took some of the spoil, sheep, oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God. 
And then now in verse 25, Now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. I think, I'm not 100% certain about this, but I think that Saul is trying to bribe God. And don't we do that? I have in the past. You try to get on God's good side with extra obedience and worship. I'll, I'll be extra good from now on. God, I'll, I'll show up every Sunday and, and I'll give more than I have been and uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be, I'll be just, just the, the poster child for you, right? Except just don't, don't want to really admit to this one thing. You can't do that. Saul, uh, Samuel's reaction to this, well, he's disgusted. After Saul seizes the edge of Samuel's robe as he tries to walk away, Samuel says in verse 28, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. You cannot change God's mind. He'll give you his grace, but that's not him changing his mind. And so the story ends that uh, Saul persuades Samuel to come back with him to honor Saul before the elders. Once again, concerned with his reputation. And, Saul, and Samuel agrees and he goes, but then he, uh, after he, he kills Agag, goes back to Ramah and uh, never sees Saul again. And then it says in verse 35, that Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That same kind of language is used in Genesis chapter 6. That's the story of the ark, that's the story of Noah and the flood, and it says <laughs> at least twice in Genesis chapter 6 that the Lord regretted having made people. It's that same same language used there in Genesis and now it's being applied to Saul the Lord regretted it it grieved him so if you're looking for an example of failure in the Bible Saul's a good place to start He's not only an example of, of failure, but, but an example of what not to do when you fail. If you want a summary of what he did, at first he, he decided that he wasn't going to uh, address the problem. He was just going to ignore it. Then he tried to shift the blame onto others. And then he tried to bribe God with extra obedience and, and worship. That's not the correct response to your failure. So, what about a good example of how we react uh, to our failure? Uh, please open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. This is a story of David. David
David is described as a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 18, he's described to Saul as a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. The greatest king to ever rule Israel by God's standards. Now, you wouldn't think that a man like that would have very many problems with failure, right? <laughs> I mean, he's described as a great king, one after God's own heart. Wow. But yet he wrote psalms like Psalm 51. I want to just read you the first three verses, or four verses of that. The words of David. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. These aren't the words of somebody that's never done anything wrong, right? <laughs> Wash me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. However, does this psalm and the things stated by David make him less of a man after God's own heart? Does it change the fact that the Lord is with him? No. David experienced failures and ugly failures that you can read about. David and Bathsheba just, yeah, he killed a man for his wife. Uh, awful things. And yet still, he's a man after God's own heart. Because he has the right response to failure. And so the story in chapter 21 of 1 Chronicles. Is that David wants to take a census of the people. I don't believe there's anything wrong with the census in, in, in particular. But there was something with the attitude and, and the demeanor of David when he decided to do this. In verse 1, it says, Then Satan stood up against Israel, moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, Go, number Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan, and bring me word that I may know their number. And Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are, but my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why does my lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Joab knew this wasn't the right move. And so they took the census, and the census was told to David, and we get the impression that it was almost as, as soon as David heard the number. <laughs> he knew that he had done something incredibly wrong. In verse 8, David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Do you see the differences between Saul's approach 
and David's. David was not uh, confronted by a prophet, even at this point in time. He sees the problem, and he admits to it himself. I have sinned greatly. In that I have done this thing, please take the iniquity of your servant. For I have done very foolishly. He admits that he's done wrong. So, maybe it's because of this, this, this attitude that David has. God offers him three choices, three different punishments that he, he may give to David, whichever one he chooses. And so, in verse 11, Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Take for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be swept away before your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, therefore, consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. Is that the one you would have chosen? <laughs> fall into the hand of the Lord? <laughs> The sword of the God Almighty. The one who destroyed Egypt. <laughs> the one who, who, who divided the Red Sea in front of the children of Israel. I don't know if that's what I would have chosen. But I think what we can see here is that David had learned something through his past failures. He had learned something and it stuck with him. For the mercies of the Lord are very great. This is, maybe this is just a me thing, but that's mind-boggling to me. <laughs> that God's mercies are reliable and they are constant. And his grace is, is dependable. <laughs> that you can count on it. David knows that. His mercies are very great. And so God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. And the angel was standing above Jerusalem with the sword of the God Most High in his hand, ready to strike it. And in verse 17, well, starting in verse 16, says, David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with his drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders covered with sackcloth fell on their faces. And David said to God, Is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep... What have they done? O oh Lord, my God, 
Please let your hand be against me and my father's household, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. The difference here between Saul and David (laughs) is pretty striking. Saul wanted to push the blame off onto the people. David was ready to, to admit, one, to his own mistakes, and then to take ownership of them, full ownership. Don't punish the people for the wrong that I have done. This king has the interests of his people at heart. And so, through a prophet, God tells David to build an altar to sacrifice to him. And so, he buys the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, and he buys the cattle for the sacrifices. Um, Even though Ornan wanted to give it to him (laughs) freely, uh, David said, should I offer a sacrifice to my God that cost me nothing? And so he offers the sacrifice and the angel puts the sword back in his sheath and the Lord's mercies are very great and Israel is spared that day. David's concern was for his relationship with his God. Throughout the failure, you can probably uh, pick up that, that David wanted his relationship with God to be fixed. He recognized that his sin was a barrier to that relationship. Not something really that we see with Saul. He was concerned for the consequences of a damaged relationship, but not the relationship itself. And so, to maybe cement this lesson in your minds in some way (laughs) there's a phrase that I heard that great that 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 helped me a lot and just it might sound silly but just please give it a chance when you fail fail up and not down when you fail fail up and not down Saul failed down His first inclination was not to go to God, was not to make things right with him. It was to ignore the problem and then to say that it was others' fault and that he really was doing his job, but but everybody else, eh, they're doing their own thing. He tried to bribe God with his obedience. He wouldn't take ownership of what he did. Don't fail down like Saul, fail up like David. David was a man to go back to God no matter what, no matter how bad his mistake, no matter the consequences, no matter how hard it was going to be to humble himself, to go back, (laughs) to make things right with him. David was concerned for his relationship with God. He failed up. We have a choice when we fail. We can either try to ignore our, our, <laughs> our mistakes and our shortcomings, and then we can let those problems and those failures become a part of us and define who we are, or 
we can come to God. And through our failures, our God, whose mercies are very great, can help us become a better servant and a better son if we only come to him. This is a lesson that I heard at a a summer camp uh, earlier this year. And on the way back from that summer camp, I had four other guys in my car. We were on I-465, south of Indianapolis, eastbound, when I got in a car wreck. The exit lane was clogged up, and a guy in front of me in the middle lane was trying to get in, and he stopped, and I didn't catch it in time. And... 45, 50 miles an hour. I'll never forget the look of that Mercedes van. (laughs) Now, thankfully, not a single passenger in our car had so much of a a scratch on us. I mean, uh, praise God. (laughs) My car was totaled. And so after the accident, my mind was all on uh, what am I going to do uh, transportation and 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 insurance and how am I going to make ends meet? How am I uh, going to go forward from this point? It was just all <laughs> in 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 my head, and I I just I just couldn't get away from it. But then I was gently reminded that I had to do the right thing. It was Saturday. Next day was Sunday. I had to go apologize to the parents of the kids that I had failed. They trusted me. Was that the easy thing to do? <laughs> no. But thankfully, <laughs> the phrase stuck in my head <laughs> when you fail, fail up and not down. Now notice the part in that phrase, the very first word is when, (laughs) when you fail, we will fail, we have failed, (laughs) and we will again. But when we fail, we got to fail up, we got to come to God, first and foremost. Because God can work with failure, God does it all the time. (laughs) God can work with failure, but God can't work with pride. And that's what Saul shows us. So if there are any here tonight who have failure in their lives, or this morning, who have failure in their lives, and you know it, do not make the same mistakes that Saul did. Don't try to ignore those problems. They're real. And if you try to, it's going to be a barrier between you and God. Fail up, not down. So if you have failures and you want to be reconciled with God, then come to him. His mercies are very great. I'll be standing and sing this song.